Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. So as I mentioned, today is a family service. And so what does that mean? That means, number one, I'm going to preach. Maybe I should say I'm going to attempt to preach a shorter sermon. But at the end of this shorter sermon, we're going to have an opportunity as a church family to put the sermon into practice. Um, you may have seen already that there's an insert for you. We'll get that out later. That includes our missions partners that we have the opportunity and the privilege to partner with as a church. But save that for later. Kids, I want you to turn to page two in your packet. You have an outline and you can fill in some of those blanks as we go. And as you're turning, kids, to page two, I want to start with a little bit of a quiz. This one, first question is an easy question for all you kids. What is Jesus' most well-known sermon? Go ahead and say it out loud. Sermon on the... There we go. The Sermon on the Mount. We're in a sermon series right now on the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it Flourish because the overarching theme of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' invitation, Jesus' description of what a flourishing and blessed life looks like in this world. It's his most well-known sermon, you're right. I have another question for all you kids. This one I cannot prove that I have the answer right, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And the question is this. What do you think are the most repeated words in human history? The? How about set of words? Not just one word. My son. <laughs> it's not a trick question. But if we were to guess, what are the most repeated set of words across time, across language, across culture, in all of human history, it might just be the Lord's Prayer. 
Some of you may have it memorized. We had a class recently exploring my faith uh, for some of you older grade school kids, and a part of your assignment was to memorize the Lord's Prayer. So today, that's what we're going to be looking at, the most well-known part of Jesus' most well-known sermon. A few weeks ago, we did hear a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. You could probably preach 10 or 20 sermons on this prayer. We're going to do two. Um, And it's so well-known, this sermon, that sometimes we forget to look at it and to think of it in its context, in its original context. So today, we're going to place it in context. It's right here in the center of the Lord's Um, The Lord's Prayer is in the center of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew. And in this section, Jesus is addressing the three core spiritual practices of the day in Judaism. They were called the three pillars of Judaism. Giving and praying and fasting. Last week we talked about giving and today we're going to talk about praying. In chapter 5, Jesus, his focus was on the ethical life, the moral life. And here he's transitioning into our spiritual lives. And so if you look at verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1, in your Bibles, and I'm going to pause for a moment to work on our wow, wow, that little sound right there. I'm going to do a little something. Okay. Well, since this Sunday is a family service Sunday, I'll have to explain how that little switch just got turned, because my youngest son was sitting right next to me right there, and he was messing with my belt, and I didn't realize he was the one who switched that. So we don't look, don't look upstairs at Phil. It's not his fault. And I guess it's not my fault either. I'm just blaming my six-year-old. Happy Family Service Sunday. Okay. Verse 1, chapter 6. Jesus begins this section on the three core pillars of Judaism with a warning. And what he says, there is a warning on the danger of good works. The danger of good works. The warning is that our spiritual practices can either, they can move us into deeper reward. They can move us deeper into this life of flourishing that Jesus came to give us. Or they can leave us more empty. They can leave us disappointed. They can move us farther away from God and the blessing and the flourishing he intends for us to know and to give to other people. So Jesus is saying there's a great warning when it comes to our spiritual lives. We can go in one of two directions. And today we're going to look at how he applies this to prayer. Because if someone is struggling with something or somebody is seeking to grow spiritually... And maybe some of you here today would list at the very top of the things you're looking for in life, I want to grow spiritually, or maybe you're seeking and you have questions about Christianity. And you might ask, well, where do I start? Telling this person, whether somebody who's just struggling or somebody who's seeking to grow spiritually, telling this person to pray can either be the best advice you give them or it actually could be the worst advice you give them. It can be the best advice because Jesus says there's no possibility of the flourishing life apart from prayer. Prayer is the oxygen 
of the flourishing life. Prayer is the breath of the life of blessing. It's the center, so it is and can be the best advice because there's so much reward to be found in prayer. But at the same time, it can be the worst advice. Prayer, when done for the wrong reasons and without any models or without any instruction, can leave us even more disappointed, can make us feel even more distant and further away from God. So that Jesus gave us his prayer to teach us how to pray. A long time ago, John Calvin said, no one will learn to pray aright whose lips and heart are not schooled by the heavenly teacher. What we say in prayer and why we pray are both learned over a lifetime of praying through this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at three points this morning as we walk through the sermon. One, the wrong reasons to pray. Two, the right reasons to pray. And three, the reward of praying. There are a few wrong reasons to pray that Jesus points out here. Reason number one. Kids, you can write this down. The first wrong reason to pray is because I'm supposed to. In verse 5 that we just heard read, Jesus is still developing the main point of this part of his sermon. 6.1, the beginning said, Beware of doing religious things, spiritual things in front of others in order to be seen by them. He applied that to giving, and now he's going to apply that to praying. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. If you were here last week, you might remember that Jesus is using the language of the theater. The word hypocrite literally, if you translate it literally, would be a mask wearer. A hypocrite was an actor, a stage actor at the time. And so Jesus is saying, even our praying can be a mask that we're wearing, a performance. Now, during the time of Jesus, prayer was expected for all faithful Jewish people, and the times of prayer were very structured. You prayed in the morning, in the middle of the day, and in the evening, and everybody prayed at those set times. Not only was the time of prayer structured, what you said was also given to you. There were prayers that you were supposed to pray every single day. The Shema, which is one of the most important prayers from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Another prayer was called the Tefillah. 18 benedictions, blessed are you God for this, blessed are you God for this. These are great prayers. You were expected to pray them every single day at certain set times. Jesus says hypocrites are people who love to pray, but only when they're supposed to pray. At the set time, in their religious settings, in the synagogues, and sometimes you might find them at the street corners. And what is going on there at the street corner? Well, those times, those regular times for prayer, how did you know when it was time to pray? They didn't have watches. The trumpet would go off. And when the trumpet went off, you would stop what you were doing and you would pray. And so for some people, it just so happened that every time the trumpet went off, just by coincidence, they were at the busiest street corner in the whole city. And they said, oh no, it's happened again. Now I have to stop and pray. Jesus says, they were praying in synagogues and in the streets, but never in secret. Never when it was just them 
and God. Not to talk to God, to commune with Him, or to converse with Him. So a few points of application. If we pray only when we're supposed to pray, there will be a sharp disconnect between our public self and our private self. And there will be no sense of the presence of God in our praying. And if we pray only when we're supposed to pray in church, before meals, etc., it's a sign that we're still living in a very religious performance mindset. That if I do what I'm supposed to do, God will approve of me, He'll bless me, and other people will approve of me and respect me. Jesus says that kind of prayer is not prayer. That's performance. That's wearing a mask. That's the first wrong reason to pray because we're supposed to. Secondly, the second wrong reason to pray is so I can get what I want. When it comes to prayer, almost everyone throughout human history, all cultures, all types of religion and perspective, except maybe the staunchest atheists, have some sense and notion of prayer that there is some ultimate force, there is an ultimate being, and I should somehow communicate with this ultimate being. Call it meditation or thoughts to the universe or whatever. Humans are always seeking to connect to this greater power. And Jesus says in verse 7 that this was happening, happening a lot outside of Judaism in the surrounding culture. He says the, the, the way that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people would pray, was what he called very long, very repetitious, and it was like babbling. The word that he uses is like babbling talk. What's going on there? Well, this kind of prayer, as one commentator says, was a prayer prayed in order to get God's attention and to guarantee his response. And so the thought was, How do I get God's attention? How do I know that he'll respond to what I'm asking for? Make it really long. Just bother him a lot with a really long prayer or the divine beings. And maybe if I'm not getting what I want, then I just have to change my prayer. I have to say the right thing. I have to find the right magic words. The underlying motive for all of this was not to become a better person. It was not to somehow be more aligned with the divine will. The motive was, how can I find the right prayer to pray so I can get what I want? And so this was kind of like the magic genie in a bottle. If I just rub it the right way, then the genie will grant me my wishes. Like the first wrong reason to pray, in this reason... Number two, God is not the goal of this kind of prayer. He is a means to an end. Jesus says prayer is not about finding a way for God to give you what you want. He's your Father, and He already knows what you need. That's point one. Two wrong reasons to pray. Not because we're supposed to, not to get what we want. So what are the right reasons to pray? There are many, but I want to highlight a few that are in the Lord's Prayer. The ancient tradition of the church was to pray the Lord's Prayer, if you were a Christian, just an average Christian, every single day, to use the Lord's Prayer as a guide. And Jesus says to the people who had regular set times of prayer, they had models and set prayers, He says, when you pray, meaning when you do your set prayers every single day, I want to give you a new prayer. 
pray like this. So Jesus wasn't saying, forget all these rules and regulations and model prayers. Don't do that anymore. Just pray when you feel like. He says, no. Prayer every day is a great opportunity. Let me give you a model. Let me show you the right reasons of how to pray. And he's teaching us this way to pray every day that will bring the reality of God into our lives, into our everyday lives when prayed from a genuine and authentic heart. There's so much here, but I want to point out three reasons, and then I'll add another one when we get to our third point. We pray in order to seek God's answers to the questions we face every day. That's why this is an everyday prayer. I'm going to show some pictures to you kids, so be ready when I show you these pictures. I'm going to ask you some questions about these. Number one, and we'll put up the first reason, every day we face a question about agenda. Will I live for my agenda or an agenda bigger than me? So we can advance the slide forward one. Let's do one more advance. There it is. Okay, kids, what is that? A to-do list. Now I know one of your favorite things in this world is when your mom or dad says, we have a to-do list. And let me write out step one, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to do, and to check those off. Isn't that one of your favorite things? Yes, the to-do list. I give to-do lists to my kids. I have five things that must happen every morning before anything else even has a possibility of happening. And my kids don't love that. They don't love that to-do list. Much of our praying, though, when it comes to prayer, is us taking our personal to-do list to God for the day and saying, God, please help all these things be accomplished for the day. Then I will be happy, then I will know that you love me and you bless me. But Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that we begin prayer with a surrendering of our agenda to God's agenda, to God's to-do list. And he gives us that to-do list in the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer, that God's name would be made known as holy, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. One commentator says, praying in this way, it reorders our desires. We learn in the recitation, in the memorization and repetition of this prayer to yearn for God's glory and for God's name to be held in the highest honor, and we learn to long for God's kingdom, not ours, and for God's will, not ours, to be done. Over time then, praying this prayer, our to-do list, our agenda begins to align with and is shaped with God's great agenda for this world. That's the first reason to pray. Second, right reason to pray. Every day we face a question about our needs. Do I have what I need for today? Jesus says, pray this prayer. Give us today our daily bread. And now, kids, if you want to write this down, there are two things about daily bread. It's daily and it's bread. Very profound. It's daily. Like the manna that God gave Israel each day in the wilderness, one day at a time, 
when God provided just enough for each day, praying this prayer teaches us to live in daily dependence and trust. It's something we need to come back to day in and day out. It's daily. It's also bread. Bread was the basic staple of food in Jesus' day. And for many, it was something they took for granted, praying for daily bread. It was like, well, I already have bread, so why am I going to be praying and asking for, for bread from God? Why? Why pray this? If we already have bread, it teaches us that everything, even the smallest things, even the most basic things are gifts from God, that He has provided these things for us as a gift, and it teaches us over time, when prayed over a lifetime, to live in thankfulness. Secondly, because it's bread, praying this teaches us what we really need. Now I have a picture that I would like to share. Who knows what this is? Here it comes. Boom. Can you see it? Who knows? Green pan, yes. Green pan is a bakery in Tustin. They serve those, some of the most delicious desserts on the planet. We don't pray to God, God, give me this day my daily cream pan. It is a luxury. It's great to enjoy, but it's not a need. And so praying this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, each day helps us sort out the difference between what we need and what we want. And sometimes as we're praying for what we need, God will come back and He will give us one of three responses. He will say, you don't need that. He will say, you don't need it now. Or He will say, you already have what you need. Every day as we're praying, give us this day our daily bread. We learn over a lifetime, over the journey of life, what we really need. Third right reason to pray, every day we face a question of expectations. And this is the way that I would phrase it and think about it. Will I expect a normal day or a normal challenging day? A normal easy day or a normal challenging day? Most days I wake up, this is my confession, and I dream of a normal easy day. My normal easy day would be, there's not really many challenges today. There's nothing too hard. There's not even going to be new things that are added, like new responsibilities that I have to take on. It's just going to be this glorious, easy day. And most days, without me asking that question, I'm just waking up and expecting that for some reason. No one ever told me that that is how life should work, but I just think that is how life should work. And the way that I picture it, I'm going to share another picture in just a moment. Actually, no, let's just show that picture right now. The way I picture it, who knows where this is from? Disneyland Splash Mountain. So many of you have ridden the Splash, that's our family on Splash Mountain, have ridden Splash Mountain before in your lives, and you know most of the ride is a very peaceful log ride. And the song is singing, and it's just a beautiful day. What a wonderful day. What a wonderful day. And you know, because you walked around, you say, there's going to be a death drop coming soon. 
And we're all just like holding on to the log, waiting for it to happen. But if you did not know the death drop was coming, and it was zippity-doo-dah, so peaceful, and all of a sudden, you're plummeting down in fear, then that experience would not be very fun. You would be freaking out and you would be scared. But that's the difference. Every day when we think, this day will be a glorious, easy, normal day, and then something happens to disrupt our glorious, normal day. Parents, you know, one of our kids will spill something, break something, or spill and break something and give us a difficult time for some reason. Parents, that's when our normal day comes crashing down and we're zipping down the chute. Kids, it's when your parents ask you to do something you don't want to do. You say, I thought this was going to be an easy day. Or our spouses, they say something curt or hurtful to us. We go to work and something our coworker does, it just makes our day that much worse. Or something our boss asks us to do and our whole day is ruined. Jesus says, pray like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, expect every day to have possible temptations and battles with evil from without and within your own heart, with things that would move you away from God, with things that would move you away from a life of flourishing with God at the center. Be prepared for these things. We learn to pray over a lifetime. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we realize the challenges that come our way, we should expect them, and we need to be prepared for them. Thirdly, the reward of praying. We've seen the wrong reasons to pray. We've seen some right reasons to pray. Now I want to talk about a reward of praying. When we read verses 14 and 15, if you look back at the Scripture passage in your bulletin, This is a little jarring, a little surprising as a conclusion to the prayer. Jesus says, if you do not forgive your brother from the heart, then your heavenly Father won't forgive you. It seems like Jesus just taught us how to pray, and then is he ending with a threat? Actually, it's not a threat. It's Jesus' way of making sure we don't miss one of the most important rewards of prayer, experiencing the forgiven and forgiving life. That is one of the most important rewards of prayer. Later in Matthew, Jesus told a story about forgiveness. Forgiveness, we could say, is the fourth question we face every day. Will today be a day of debt canceling or debt carrying and debt counting? He told the story to explain this in Matthew 18. He made the same point he's making in verses 14 and 15. The story is of a king, and he was owed a large amount of money. It was 20 times 10,000 years' worth of salary. I don't know how we would even calculate that. Two billion, ten billion dollars. This servant who owed him the money, he called him in. He said, it's time to pay up. And the servant said, give me more time. I don't have the money. Please be patient. Please have compassion. And the king said, I will. And he did more than that. He said, I forgive you this debt. $10 billion, you don't have to pay it. And then the same servant went later that day, and he met a fellow servant who owed him some money. It was about 100 days' worth 
of salary. We could call it $1,000. And he demanded his money, and when the servant didn't give it, he had him thrown in prison. Jesus said, that's what happens when we forget the inseparable connection between how much we have been forgiven and how it is that we are forgiven and how we treat people in our everyday lives. Our debt has been canceled. We don't carry it anymore. So we don't spend the rest of our days collecting and demanding debts from other people when we're wronged. So Jesus says, one of the great rewards of praying is to remember on an everyday basis as we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors over a lifetime, over repetition. We experience the reward of remembering how much it is we have been forgiven and how it is that our forgiveness was made possible. When I was a little kid, I was about eight or nine years old, I think I heard a sermon on this passage, or somehow I was familiar with this, and I got the impression that if I didn't pray every night for God to forgive my sins, then I missed my opportunity for that day, and God wouldn't forgive me. So every night, I would spend time praying, and I had a little set prayer that I would pray, and I would pray, forgive my sins, because maybe this is my chance. I won't be forgiven unless I pray this. It's this prayer that's going to give me the forgiveness that I need for all the things that I've done that have been bad or wrong today. And sometimes I would just feel restless, whether it was about, okay, today wasn't a good day or things were happening in my home and I was struggling and I was just restless and I couldn't go to sleep, I would take out this little picture and I brought it with me. I know you can't really see it from, from way over there, but it's just a picture of Jesus. It's one of the more well-known, famous pictures of Jesus. So I would take this picture out. I've had this since I was like five years old and I would put it under my pillow. And when I put it under my pillow, I would say, okay, that's kind of this magic picture now I know my sins are forgiven. And sometimes God was very gracious and compassionate to me. He would give me a lot of peace when that picture would slide under my pillow. But later on, I came to realize that I had it wrong, that it wasn't my praying that earned me forgiveness before God. It wasn't the picture that earned me my forgiveness before God, but it was Jesus himself. Jesus bore the debt that I owed, the $10 billion, so that I would be forever free of that debt, and so that I would be a person when I am wronged, when bad things happen in my life, that I would be ready to forgive, that I would be ready to seek reconciliation, that it was because of Jesus, the one who prayed one of his very last prayers was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. So the reward of praying, the ultimate reward, is having Jesus and his forgiving love become more and more real to us.
I'm going to pray briefly, and in a moment, we're going to transition to a time of corporate prayer together. So let me close this sermon in prayer. Father, thank you for teaching us to pray. We struggle with all the wrong reasons of prayer. We struggle with experiencing life and joy and reality in prayer. And I pray that you would continue to teach us, that you would help us not be discouraged about prayer, that you would give us great encouragement that you want us to learn. And like so many things in life, it's not easy to learn. But drive it home into our hearts that you long to continually give us this freedom, this experience of living as if a weight is off our shoulders, as we have been released from a great debt. And that would cause us to live lighter and more joyfully and be able and quick and ready to love those you have placed in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.